How's it going, everyone? John here, the host of Spear Talk. You might not know this, but before I record an episode, I like to break a sweat. And I do that using the ChopFit. Over the course of the past year, the ChopFit has allowed me to lose weight, tone up my body, and feel even more amazing about myself. A feeling that you should all feel about yourself as well. If you use this code, SpearChop10, you get $10 off your order. Once again, use code SpearChop10 for $10 off your ChopFit order. It'll change your life. Thank you. How's it going, everyone? John here, the host of Spear Talk, and today we are welcoming Dan Palacios into the show. Dan is, uh, if you're on social media, specifically Instagram, uh, follow Live Kinetically, and uh, hopefully this episode we can kind of figure out what kinetic living is and all this stuff here, but Dan is a, I would consider a fitness guru, and I, I myself am into fitness, but I tend to get lost with people that are pushing different workouts or stuff that I don't really apply to or kind of figure out mentally. But someone like Dan does all this stuff with amazing exercises, anything from a chair to a sandbag, which is why I kind of relate to his training and fitness. And uh, so hopefully Dan can kind of talk about that today. Yeah, man. Uh, thanks so much for having me today, brother. I'm really, uh, really excited to be here and, and give you the rundown on uh, what I do as far as living kinetically and where that whole thing came from. Uh, but yeah, it's uh, it's 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 an interesting world. The what I call the insta sphere, <laughs> I love and that. all that's out there, and uh, being able to sort of separate the wheat from the chafe. Not that you know, um, not that there's too much bad stuff out there. I think you got to key in on on what is uh, what is good and useful and um, some people, I think, intend to do good with the the workouts they're putting together and programming they're putting together. But a lot of people, you know, are just trying to make money and you know, hey, look, people got to make money, right? No, so, I totally get that. Now, <laughs> how did there too, right? <laughs> now, growing up, were you the athletic type, or what? What point did you kind of figure out that working out and fitness is great, but there's something more to it than just slamming the weights in the gym? Yeah, you know, uh, I was an athlete from the time I was little. You know, I was born and raised into it. Most of my family were athletes of various kinds. Uh, pretty much everyone in my family played some kind of sport at some point or another. And uh, really early on, actually, you know, I was I started training with my dad, really training with my dad when I was probably about uh, like eight or nine years old. And I actually started playing hockey before I in, in South Florida, no, no less. I played right. roller hockey and a bit of ice hockey. That was uh, the year the Panthers went to the, uh, the Stanley Cup Challenge. So I was lit up. I just wanted, I have four older sisters, uh, four older sisters. So three by blood and one stepsister. So I had no real sort of physical aggression outlets as the youngest boy in a family of, you know, four or five with older sisters, I, I couldn't put that aggression anywhere. really. So right. um, it was contact sports that really did it for me. Um, so I could go around and hit people. And they said, you know, you have li basically license to kill, right? <laughs> so, right. Um, so that was the, the fun thing for me. So it was it went from hockey to pretty much football. And once I found football, that was it. I mean, I, all I'd wanted to do was play football. So I played football really into my college years, um, division one and division two levels. And uh, along the way, it was really high school where uh, I trained with a coach named Pete Bomarito, a guy who's still down here. He does amazing work. Um, and it was his style of training that really turned me on to the idea my junior year of high school that like, I think I could, I think this is something I would want to do. Uh, so sports science or exercise sciences or sports health uh, was kind of a realm that I was already thinking about as a, as a high school student, even playing football. And I was just one of those guys who kind of always caught myself doing fun, funky, different stuff in the gym anyway. You know, everyone right. else would be doing their workouts. I'd already be done. And I'd be over <laughs> there doing like handstand pushups against the wall and like, you know, doing that kind of stuff. So um, that, that was really where that passion for training started right. um, and, and I did see some of that distinction between like good coaching and not so great coaching like you know classic high school football coach type mentality of like here's your exercises get to it you know and I see a lot of stuff in the gym and I'm like yeah you know what I'm not gonna do that because uh, I don't I don't feel comfortable doing it and it's no one's super, coaching it so it's yeah. super weird because like I was a d3 athlete uh, cross-country lacrosse and I felt, especially with lacrosse, like the running just put me out there, put a piece of meat in front of me. I'm going for days. I love it. But right. it felt like there's a system in place, at least it was back when I was in college in 2004, 2008, where 
athletes and coaches, not to discredit the coaches themselves, because I think they're all great. They're all great men and women. Um, But their mindset was, okay, you need to do 10 uh, squat or hand cleans. You have to do 10 squats. You have to bench press this amount of weight. I would, I put the time in the gym to do it or what I had to do. Of course it, it's, I'm all for it, but it got me thinking. It's like, I don't know if this is just, are they making us do this because it's been passed down and they're, they're this mindset, this caveman mentality of you have to do these hand cleans. Like this isn't the NFL combines. And <laughs> it's like, I don't know. Is it easier just to do a hand clean as opposed to do something else, which I want to talk about with you, all the stuff you do that, all the stuff that you do is the same. You get the same workout, the same reaction to your body as you would slinging a sandbag as opposed to doing a hand clean. And that mentality kind of discouraged me from the gym. So is there something to that? Yeah, you know, uh, what, what, the way I see it um, from the sort of biomechanical perspective, right, is you're, you're gonna, you, you start to look at the, the human body from these primal movement patterns. And this is what I explain to a lot of people who are just starting out, who just really don't understand uh, the validity of what understanding movement brings to your body, not just from a physical perspective, but from an intellectual perspective as well, because uh, it starts to reframe the way you approach your daily life. Life is a sport. And whether we like it or not, or believe it or not, we're all going to squat, lunge, hinge, twist, walk, run, sprint, um, push and pull on a daily basis. So if you break, if you break fitness and strength conditioning down into those terms, it really does simplify it down to, you know, all those different little things that we learn in strength conditioning, which is flexion, extension, you know, internal rotation, external rotation, all the different planes, all of that stuff is what's happening when you move with primal movement patterns. So, um, you know, yes, hang cleans definitely have validity in, uh, in right. translating over to any sport, right? You have the explosive hip extension, that full body movement that's teaching you to take a, you know, a load and move it quickly in a direction. Um, but that being said, it was, uh, it was really the, the non-traditional lifting and stuff like Weck Method and the Kabuki Strength guys uh, who turned me on to this idea that there were just different ways to approach these things. And there was a better, deeper understanding to have of the relationship between these primal movement patterns and functionality and specificity to whatever given activity you're applying it to. You know, does it really make a lot of sense to? you know, use the, the little space you have this and time you have for training for lacrosse players to be doing hang cleans left and right, right. Um, or, or snatches, whatever, whatever it is, you know, right. are there areas in that programming where that could be better served uh, that time? I mean, so that was kind of really, uh, that was really where that started for me. That was about uh, six or seven years ago now when I first found it was the, uh, the WEC method RMT club actually. And if you know anything about the WEC method uh, guys and what they do, it's a lot of rotational movement and um, functional naturalized movement through rotation and understanding how to apply rotation in a linear fashion, as well as lateral, that's, you know, transverse moving from one direction to the other and redirecting your weight or the momentum of whatever object you're manipulating, whether that's a club, whether that's a baseball bat, uh, you know, a tennis racket or another human. Right. <laughs> right. Um, and so that it was, it was that RMT club experience that really started pushing me towards this idea that um, maybe we just need to reframe in traditional strength conditioning, the way we look at specificity of movement and how to apply it to the given sport and the given task. The, the tough part that strength conditioning coaches always face, and I've been there, I've trained, you know, 50, 60 people at a time in a weight room. You got to, you got to, you got to, yeah, you got to try to fit the bill for the beast that you're working with. Right. So you got uh, a team of 60, 70 guys with several different positions who all have different needs. You're trying to build the program that fits the needs of the sort of general population of that group. So that, that I totally get, which is actually why I prefer to work in the small group or uh, individual environment, just because I, I have a hard time personally as a strength coach, um, sort of giving up the ghost on, uh, on, on being able to have that specific need met to that person and getting them to connect 
on a, on a very, very uh, personal level and impactful way with whatever it is we're doing with that person. So they can really go, wow, I felt the difference on that, as opposed to here's these 10 exercises for these 60 people, everyone get to it and go and see if you can figure it out. Right. Right. Um, that's why I ended up training with a strength coach, you know, one-on-one as a high school athlete. And that's a lot of the reason I prefer to train that way these days. And it was, it was the tools to me that really started to make the difference because you get better feedback with certain tools. Certain people just flat out can't lift a barbell for a number of reasons. You have adaptive athletes, you have, uh, or they can't lift it the way that it's being coached or programmed in, right? So you have to adapt, you have to respond and you have to find uh, creative ways to meet that need and help that person become more functional. So, you know, stuff like the RMT clubs and the BOSU balls and all the different hammers and all those different tools that are out there, they're just that. They're just tools. It's how you apply them and what it is you're going to do to help that person connect with that tool so that it takes them to the next step in in their training, you know, Um, because in the end, all the primal movement patterns are still there right? Physics hasn't changed. Has not changed. It's the, the tool itself, the design of it, the, um, the build of it, the length of it, the weight of it, that's going to change the way you apply those physics. And um, I think you'll find that if you have a big enough toolbox and you know how to use all those tools in that toolbox, um, that you, you'll have a really, really intriguing and fun time training. And, uh, and it, it really does, does totally change your perspective on, on sort of generalized programming versus that very personalized approach. Um, like I said, not, you know, the reason I have six different kinds of dumbbells in my outdoor facility is because some people like this dumbbell better than they like that dumbbell. I'm not going to change their opinion on that outside right. of just coaching them through a few different things and different ways to use it. But um, if for one reason or another, that person refuses to work out with that particular object i've got plenty of other ways of skinning that cat so um the the most important thing is getting them to connect with the movements and see how they actually apply to what they do in a daily on a daily basis you know um taking inventory of your daily life and sort of breaking it down into not just your behaviors, but also your actual activities and looking at them from a biomechanical perspective. Well, how do you sleep? How's your body feel when you wake up from that sleep? What position is your body in? Did you have restful sleep or were you just tossing and turning all night? That's why we have all these little Fitbits that monitor your sleep and all this different stuff now, right? Is we're trying to build in these uh, automated coaching systems to tell us those things. But the fact is, we can do that, right? We can connect with those things and start to pay better attention. Um, You know, do you have to go up and down stairs all day? You know, what does your morning routine look like when you're preparing your food? Do you, is all your stuff up high and you have to always reach up here, you know, or is all your stuff down low and you have to reach down there? Are there better ways to organize your life so that it is better suited to improving your mechanics and, and coding your system? Because literally uh, every step is a rep, every movement is a rep and your body is essentially the sum total of all the different stuff you do physically on a daily basis. Right. That's and fascinating I, how you put that way. I, I guess I never realized that every time, every step you take is actually a limited or an unlimited amount of reps you're going to do that day. Cause you don't know what you're going to do outside of what you're going to supposed to do, whether it's in the gym or go to work. Very fascinating. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And well, and, you know, think about it, right. Think about the average person, you know, well, I guess pre COVID, um, you know, what did you do? You get up, you walk to the car, you do your routine, you walk to the car, you get in the car, you drive, however long it's going to take you to get to your office. For the most part, you get into your office, you sit in your office for eight to 12 hours, you get back in your car, you drive home. And at some point or another, you're probably going to go to sleep. And that's, uh, you know, not even including some kind of physical training or other right. physical activity you might add in there. But I would say that the larger portion of the, the population probably doesn't train in a very specific way. And they'll tend to look at whatever, you know, the biggest, most fit guy or, you know, the best looking girl is going to be doing on, uh, on their Instagram workouts or whatever it is, you know, wherever they got their programs from. But, um, that might not be specified to the activities that that person is partaking in. 
And, uh, and that to me is the most important thing for every individual person to do is do that movement inventory and go, okay, what are all these things that I'm already doing and building more dysfunction on? Um, and what could I be doing from a specific training perspective to counteract that? Well, we know that generally most people are going to slouch with their shoulders forward, their spine rounded. The pressure from sitting is putting a ton of pressure on yep. their low back and their hips. Their rib cage is now closing down, which is putting pressure on their organs, all that different stuff. Um, very generally speaking, you can look at most humans and go, ah, yeah, that's a lot of what's going on, <laughs> you know, right. and, you know, all the different pressure that builds up. So when we program from a general perspective, a lot of times what we're doing is programming to open up, to create extension in the system, right? And to right. put the body in a more biomechanically open place. And that begins to loosen up certain structures and put certain bones in better positions. You know, the shoulder, for instance, when it's rounded here and all these tissues here are tight, the back ones are weak. Uh, we have to spend time strengthening the back, loosening the front so that humeral head has room to move around inside that ball and socket joint. Otherwise, it's just rubbing. Right. And then right. people go in, you know, unknowingly. Right. I'm just going to do a thousand overhead presses. It's not that overhead presses are inherently bad, but for that person, this is not, not a great, right. ah, you know, just putting on my shirt hurts. Well, now you're trying to throw 135 pounds up over your head. Let's maybe <laughs> reconfigure things for a little bit and see what we have to do to desensitize your tissues to that movement and why that's occurring. Where is the dysfunction really coming from? A lot of it has to do with that daily movement inventory. You're doing so much more of this than you are of this. And that's right. just what it boils down to for that given person. So uh, that, that is sort of a general overview of what we tend to see a lot of from a postural perspective. But then um, just from a, a systemic perspective, there's your central nervous system. And we can't ignore that, right? right? Your body is constantly receiving stimulus. It's just all the time, whether it's someone touching you, someone saying something to you you seeing something, someone cutting you off in traffic, you smell something bad versus you smell something good. Those are all those different sensory inputs that this computer is taking in and logging in all the time. So it's responding to that, you know, right. for better, or for worse. And, uh, and I think that with all the added stressor, stressors that we now have in the world and so much exposure to so much information all the time, that uh, people have really gotten to a place where it's hard to manage all that information. Right. And we've gotten very used to functioning in this quote unquote um, stagnant state of fight or flight. <laughs> right. And, and that's not a great place to be in because, you know, oh, the adrenaline the levels are right. way up, cortisol yeah. levels are way up. And essentially, biomechanically, fight or flight mode is by definition a sort of flexor response, right? We're going to brace right. for impact or we're going to brace down and then cut and run, um, you know? So a lot of what we try to do now from a central nervous system perspective is make sure that, that that's in place first um, and, and have sensible ways of managing all that sensory input and give that person the necessary anchors and tools and um, techniques to manage that fight or flight mode, realize when they're even in it, you know, was this uh, an emotional trigger of some kind that now, why does my shoulder hurt? Because you're angry and you're in an argument and now you're everything stiffening up and you're getting tighter and tighter from it. Or are you repeatedly doing the same motion that's causing right. that shoulder to hurt more? Your body doesn't know the difference. Right. Stress is stress. So when it's repeatedly experiencing negative stress, uh, it does start to get to a place where it has no idea how to cope. So we're just going to lock everything up and shut it all down. Blood vessels start to close. Tissues get tight and dry and dehydrated. Most people don't drink enough water, right? Right. So, you know, this is where the, the fitness gurus have gotten to that place of, you know, here's just these basic, simple things you can do. Drink more water, eat a little bit better balanced foods, breathe more often, right? And it's, right. it's distilled down to that, but really the, the root of it is we're managing stress and we're giving our body better ways to do that by training it to handle that, right? That's right. the definition of simulated stress training for my military and law enforcement 
you know, guys who are guys and girls who are out there is we're intentionally building that into the program to say, this isn't just for the sake of beating you up or punishing you through training. That's not the intent of the training. The training uh, is intended to in purposely stress you out so that you're physically, biomechanically, and metabolically taxed in such a way that it's hard to function mentally, right? right? But when that's happening, I need you to be able to process all of that information despite the lack of glycogen running through your system and, you know, your blood sugar's dropping now right. and your vision's a little hazy right now, or you're breathing so hard. You can, you're all you're worried about is just getting air into your lungs. Right. Um, but at the same time, you're currently worried about, you know, protecting yourself from this individual or protecting that individual from themselves. Which right? is why, like, I'm kind of blown away by this because you and I kind of talked about the record before with my background in security, a lot of times the fitness I do um, especially now is uh, it's predicated on the idea of what actions am I going to do in the events I have to do my job, if that makes sense. So yeah, a lot yeah. of lunges, a lot of my stuff, if I have to react is very quick, herky jerky, uh, jumping over an obstacle, whether it's a barricade yeah. or blocking a, a 200 pound guy that's twice as big as me coming at me, who's 400 pounds and all the stuff I got to do with a client or if I'm carrying uh, luggage for the bus with a client, it's what something fault. Like, so it kind of makes me wonder, which is why I kind of fell in love with your page is that everything you do and everything you just said, it's, it's all life-based training. And I, I, I just, I love the fact that I can wrap my head around that if I'm going to work out and still get the workout I would from a traditional gym, I could do it more geared towards what I'm going to have to end up doing in my life, in my career. And I, and I find great value in that. Oh yeah. Yeah, no, for sure. That's uh, and, and that's, that's not to say that you can't train hard. Right? Correct. hundred uh, percent. Know when to train hard and know when to back off and, uh, and, and decrease the, the stimulus, but maybe just alter the stimulus to something that's going to be more beneficial for you in that moment, intuitively knowing where your body's at for that given day. Right. You, know? you know what you've been doing the last few days. Have you been right. eating right? Have you been doing, right. you know, taking care of it? Um, and why further punish your system by continuing to burn the motor? That's like, you know, knowing that you just raced a high performance car over the weekend. And then, you know, I'm not going to bother refueling it. I'm not going to bother putting any new, you know, tires on it or, or getting the chassis adjusted or anything like that. Now we're just going to go out and run it again. Why does that make any sense? You know, it doesn't, right. uh, yeah, you would, you would read, you would do the tune up, you'd get the thing, you know, ready to go. Same thing with your body. Right. Um, so if you know you just had a really high stress several days, then I really think that uh, a lot of people would do better to get out of that mindset of more is better, you know, uh, pain is weakness, weakness, leaving the body, all that kind of stuff. There's not nothing necessarily wrong with that from a mental perspective, right. of building mental resilience. But I think a lot of people would find their training is far more effective when they construct it in such a way that uh, they're putting themselves more continually uh, and more repetitively in a place of success, right? What can I be successful with today in my training? That's gonna, um, that's gonna continue to build momentum in the right direction, even though it's not gonna be of the same level of intensity from a weight perspective, um, it could be of a same level of intensity from a contraction perspective, right? I'm gonna right. work more isometrics today or light, fast rotational movements as opposed to heavy static, you know, um, you know, linear pulls and pushes and squats and all that type of stuff. So um, there are there are far more ways to stimulate the system than just working with a barbell or a dumbbell and uh, and just moving for repetitions, you know, for the sake of loading up pounds on the system. Um, the body is physically capable of contracting from a central nervous system perspective and from a muscular perspective as hard as it would ever need to, you know, say, say your maximum deadlift is a 500 pound deadlift, right? That's if we absolutely prepared you and you, you could only lift right, the right. best you could, it was 500 pounds, right? Well, to be quite frank, you don't need that barbell to contract that hard, right? Oh, interesting. Right, you're, right. You're, yep. fully, you're fully equipped, right? It's there to give you the stimulus, to give you the feedback, the weight to pull against, to apply that kind of force, but you're physically capable of contracting and isometrically squeezing with such pressure that that central nervous system will engage. So 
if your body's tired and beat up and sore from the last three days of, you know, of romping around with the, the band over there, uh, you know, maybe it would be better to do some isometric and high contraction, high intensity contraction work, as opposed to just burning more fuel, you know, right. and focusing more on time under tension, uh, slower intentional movements for that period of time until such a time comes, you can refuel your system. And, you know, two, three days later, when your body is back in action, suddenly you realize, man, like, I feel a lot better from that central nervous system driven workout. And now I can move that weight. And now I can work that resistance. And dang, I, man, I worked it. I actually lifted more than I thought I was even going to be able to, you know, right. um, it's not about burning the engine and burning the system all the time. There, there's a time and a place to condition. I'm not saying don't condition. No, it's, yeah. it's funny because one, one of the acts I worked through security for is shy down and the singer Brett, he'll part the crowd down the middle, jumped off the stage it will jump over the barricade. Sometimes with some of these big German festivals, there's three or four barricades with different height, different whatever. But before, if I were to read a, their headline, before we, everything gets set up, I actually, it, I have to visually, mentally do it myself when there's no one in the crowd, make sure the barricade, like the height. Because there was this one time where I did it, well, like, I'm young, like, I'm not going to stretch. Like, what kind of, I can jump over four feet with my hands. Well, I don't know if I twerk something in my back or my abdominal, but I'm like, man, I got to, I got to practice as stupid as it sounds, I got to start doing more lunges and more kind of like these side jumps and just more kind of whatever. It's like, again, I'm so, it's just really cool to talk to you about this because seeing you do it on Instagram and all these, this real cool stuff. It's, man, it's, it's really cool. Yeah. Yeah. It's, you know, uh, there, there has to be a progressional mindset with all of it. Right. So you, again, you look at it, go back, going back to those primal movement patterns, You'd start with body weight movements and just getting right. your body familiarized with the forward lunge, the backward lunge, the lateral lunge, the, you know, two-handed press, the two-handed pull versus the one-handed press, the one-handed pull. But in the end, um, you can eventually progress those down the line to what is, you know, specific. You know, you're going to have to be climbing over barricades, um, climb over stuff, right? right <laughs> you know, 100%. Stack. Stack up some boxes, get your body used to, you know, just climbing over and moving over. I do this with my tactical athletes all the time, um, helping them to better understand, like, yeah, you know what, you you got it. You might not be comfortable loading onto that left side, but guess what? Your firearm is this on this side. You're not going to be able to have your firearm in your right hand and place it down on the object that you're climbing over, right? So right. think about that. Um, so yeah, you know, you have to code those and intentionally build those aspects of your real life application into your training so that your body knows how to respond when the time comes and it becomes a reactive um baseline rather than something you got to think about in the moment right you shouldn't have right. to worry about uh you know how it is you're going to climb over this object when you got to go protect your guy right you're just going right. to freaking go but right. your body may or may not pay the price for it right <laughs> so so, you know, again, I tend to think that if you're if you're training this way with um, keeping your central nervous system in a place where it's not creating more binding in the system and you're not always just training for creating more tension all the time um, through, you know, free weight training or whatever it is, that uh, it will be better prepared when the time comes. Right. 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 That it's baseline level of mobility, flexibility and responsiveness will be there when you need it to be, despite the fact that you've been, you know, kind of just standing around for the last several hours, you've been sitting in a car for 12 hours. Right. Boom, now that that call comes in and you got to go. There's no time for a warm up. Right? No, there isn't. There's, right. there's, you know, there's no time. Uh, all right. Excuse me, assailant. I'm going to do some uh, stretching. Now. Uh, <laughs> right. No, that's not going to happen. You're going to go. And um, I think there's a really simple way to apply that to your training on a daily basis. And it's, finding ways to get your central nervous system from fight or flight mode into that more objective, um, what we call the parasympathetic state, right? Getting away from sympathetic dominance, which is fight or flight mode into the parasympathetic state. There's a lot of different techniques that do that. That's breathing techniques. That's, uh, there's a system called RPR by a great coach named uh, Cal Dietz, another coach, JL Holdsworth. They're awesome guys. Uh, definitely go check them out where it's all central nervous system manipulation through tactile Wow. feedback you've seen stuff that's like tapping and things yes. like that there's all different nerve points that you can be hitting in a specific way and through specific patterns 
that help to not only shift you from fight or flight mode, but also better engage certain muscles and create the proper muscle sequencing, right? When you right. do a squat, should only your quads engage? No, your hamstrings, your glutes, your spinal erectors, all those different muscles that have to brace against the weight here or down here uh, are all going to have to engage. So if your central nervous system is just turned off, then you're here, right? Well, not all the right stuff's gonna be engaging. So if you can more consistently utilize those types of tools and techniques to put your body there, you're far more aware of it and not in a paranoid way, not that you're, uh, how am I moving all day? You're just more naturalized. You're right. used to being in these positions, naturally holding yourself upright when you sit up because you've taken movement inventory of your daily life, right? right. You've intentionally built into your daily training, uh, not just that 60 minutes you spend training, but just your daily mental efforts between hours of training and working, you're focusing on, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to take five minutes, you know, get up from the desk. I'm going to breathe. I'm going to do a couple of these, you know, um, central nervous system manipulations and a few basic stretches to move my spine and get it going in the right directions. That way there's a sort of suppleness to your tissues, right? Right. And they're prepared to boom, contract when they need to, or relax when they need to and apply that force that, you know, you built into a circuit. So say a great circuit would look like, uh, something like, a, uh, a light relaxed movement. So totally body weight, some kind of like an RDL type movement, reaching forward, balancing on one leg and, uh, and just creating mobility and balance in the system. Right. Then the next movement might be a traditional, you know, bench press or deadlift or back squat type of movement followed by uh, something that is compressive or uh, elastic driven, right? That's like the WEC method stuff where you're using right. more rubber bands to create that, that intense contraction. And, uh, and then following that with some kind of a fast paced movement, that's short burst rather than long duration, right? Cause we're not trying to burn the system. We're just trying to get it firing. Well, that's already four movements in a, in a quad set. And those four movements, that four movements you could build into 10 sets if you really wanted to, right. if you're looking for the conditioning factor, or maybe it is a lighter day and you're going to do three or four sets on that, right? But right there in that just that built-in little miniature workout right there, you have a lot of really great stuff that's happening biomechanically and systemically that you can get maybe a lot more out of rather than just, you know, than running 20 different exercises at 20 reps each and going as fast and as hard as you can and just burning the hell out of your system when you're already dehydrated, tired, <laughs> underfed. Right. You know what I mean? Um, so, so that's kind of the, the mindset behind it is it's not to, um, it's not to give sort of built-in reasons and excuses to just take it easy. Uh, you know, make sure you're fueling well, right. make sure you're taking care of your body, but under the best of circumstances, you could be eating really well and resting really well and just not feel good that day. Right. Um, you know, feel it out and know where your body's at and know how to apply the right movements to what it is you're doing, you know, for your actual training and your actual life because uh, you, you can really beat yourself up over just like, man, like I didn't get, right. I didn't get those 10 reps that were scheduled on the workout today. Who cares? <laughs> You'll get them next time. Right. You know what I mean? One workout's never going to make the program anyway. Um, so you know, just having a different mindset and framing your training and programming differently uh, rather than focusing on uh, the results, focus on the outcome. Right. One of the, uh, <laughs> you had mentioned previously the pandemic and I think 2020, I think a lot of people had to get creative with their only mental health, physical health and stuff like that, just to kind of deal with gyms shutting down all the stuff. But I found that it kind of, I grew my appreciation for fitness. And again, I never liked the traditional gym, uh, gold gym or uh, planet fitness. Like I never got into it. And not to say they don't serve a purpose, which they obviously do, but I've always been like, I, if I have an empty keg that I do all my workouts with, cause I like, I just like, it's different with the weight squats, yeah. uh, whatever, uh, battle ropes. But I also love doing the yard work where it's like putting stones in a wheelbarrow or actually chopping down a tree. Well, about a month into the COVID I'm like, man, I wish there was something, a product out there that I could just get into. And I saw you do the, the chop fit. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, I reached, I got to, I got two of them. I started doing the workouts. I lost 16 pounds because I was, I was, I love the way the app works. I love how dedicated I was to at least doing every 30, 45 minutes a day. Well, I start following your page because obviously I see you doing it. 
and I see these other products and I'm like, hold on. Like there's something to this. Like this is perfect for my mindset. So I actually had John Spillman, CEO of Chalfit on the Spear Talk. And uh, obviously I love and endorse the product. But then as I look further down your page, you've got sandbags, you've got big Thor hammers, you've got these things where your balls on a stick, working on your grip and all this other stuff. And it's like, how fun is it for you to get to try these products and kind of, I mean, if anyone's seen your Instagram page, uh, it's like this mecca of every armband, weight, uh, balance device. It's just, it's super rad. And you must have so much fun every day going kind of going out there just planning your workout yeah yeah well that's uh, that was kind of what I set out to do and that was uh when I took on um becoming you know a trainer all my own it was really something that I I legitimately like I literally sat there and prayed and went you know God <laughs> um bring to me the the stuff that nobody else knows about I want to, I want the secrets, right. right. Of, uh, of fitness. I want those little jewels that uh, no one else is working with or has seen yet. And I really set out, I made it my mission to find sort of every categorically interesting tool that uh, training has to offer. Uh, because I worked with barbells and dumbbells my whole life, <laughs> kettlebells. Right. I did all that stuff in college. I, you know, I was a college athlete. So um, I wanted my training to be fun. <laughs> and yes. I wanted to, to, to just be, be the guy that people could turn to and look to and go, Oh, okay. Like I see, I see this different, strange kind of cool tool, but I also still see how those foundational aspects of training still apply. Right. right. Uh, that if you're swinging the chop fit around, here's all the movements that you're doing. And here's where all of those movements apply to a football player, a baseball player, a soccer player, a tennis player, a, a you know, a security officer, a police, right. you know, military law enforcement. This has application universally, right? You just have to be willing to see it and be open right. to seeing it. And, uh, uh, and that was something I really set out to do. And by this point now, I've kind of gotten to that place where I feel like I really covered a lot of those different uh, categories of tools that are out there, whether it's bands or hammers or axes or heavy bags, um, all that different type of stuff. It, you know, it really did become this sort of anti-system of training that was like, you know, look, as long as I'm covering my primal movement patterns for the day, I know, I know I'm going to feel great after this workout and I know I'm getting results out of it. You know, it's not that I'm against programming. I am, you know, program if, if your life Right. is is you know is in that place and geared towards it you know program your workouts but i enjoy the benefits of still getting better and still seeing improvements seeing that you know i really don't have any particular um competitive or physical goals uh but i'm seeing strength gains i'm seeing agility gains i move better in a lot of ways at an older age than i did when i was a younger athlete um, and, and a lot of it has to do with all this different versatility that has been introduced to my training, whether it's the inertia waves or the aqua training bags or the chop fits or just the breath belt, um, all those different tools have contributed to this broadly, I mean, you know, vastly larger, um, movement inventory that I now have. Right. Right. And, and my daily movement inventory is, is hugely different than probably most because of that. Yes. <laughs> um, and, and I, I tend to feel that that has given me a, a, a pretty, pretty broad spectrum of capabilities physically that, uh, you know, I otherwise wouldn't have developed if all I was ever doing was a lot of linear work in, in the gym with, you know, barbells and just, you know, the same old push, pull, squat, lunge and hinges. Um, now, it's much more about learning to manipulate that given tool in all the different ways that it's capable of being manipulated and, um, and challenging my body to do it. You know, I mean, right. that was something I really, um, I really struggled with at the beginning of all of this, uh, you know, not, not COVID, but, you know, breaking out on my own and, uh, and moving away from a facility that I was working for at the time, it, it was, um, you know, the, the conventions of strength conditioning, in a lot of ways were very limiting and I didn't love the idea that there were people out there saying stuff like, you know, this is forbidden. That is forbidden. Movements are forbidden. Certain movements are forbidden for any number of reasons. Um, and it was more like to me, well, why is it forbidden? 
for this person, but not that person, right? Correct. Why is this person able to do it and they do it ad infinitum, right? But this person is, is just, it's killing them, right? There's a, there had to be more, uh, a more specific answer to why that was happening. And it really, a lot of that for me came from uh, actually parkour and free running. Oh, and wow. um, it was a, it was a, a discipline that I picked up for fun. I didn't want to become the, you know, the age old uh, washed up football player who gets, you know, fat and lazy and just stops working out, but keeps eating kind of thing. So I said, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to get into those movement disciplines that I never got to get into as a kid because I was playing football and I prioritized that. Um, and frankly, just didn't want to get hurt doing like anything else. I didn't want to take away from my football time. So um, I I took that on as a discipline with a a gym down here called a Miami free running and parkour. And a lot of those guys actually ended up being uh, Ninja warrior guys. And that led to the whole world of Ninja warrior for me. And that was tons of fun because now I learned an entirely different way of moving because a lot of it was moving with my hands and climbing. And I was a pretty heavy guy. So uh, you know, I was, you know, walking around at 190 and, you know, able to lift some pretty big weights and move athletically right. and really powerfully. But then, you know, I see all these guys flying around off, you know, 20 foot walls and doing all this different stuff. And I felt like I was a freaking brick. <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, yeah, I, I felt like I moved like uh, like an elephant compared to these guys. And there was just such fluidity and grace and um, an explosiveness to what they were doing. And I started to really look at the physics of that. And that introduced me to a lot of break dancers and other, you know, acrobatic type movement disciplines. And I'm going, when it all came full circle, it was like, there's something more here, man. We're missing something. The American Um, Ninja Warrior is super fascinating because it's one of those shows where if you're with your friends or my cousins, we'll look at it. We'll, and I'm, it's for me i've never done it i've never seen it and i always when i see people fall the first one or look stupid i'm just like man how hard can this be well it's just it must be incredibly hard right because it's just like i don't think people realize that could i do the could i hold on a rope or whatever but am i strong enough to use my grip to go across the board or push my counterweight against glass or do the warp speed the warp wall it's like i i, I don't know like it's it's cool that you've done that because I can only imagine like, what's that process like with all these people? Like, how is that the filming and stuff behind all that? (laughs) Well, it's, it is a crazy process. I mean, I was not a, uh, I wasn't like a big time competitor or anything. Uh, I was on it uh, twice, once as a walk on once as a uh, casted quote unquote casted member. Um, But uh, you know, the, the training for it for me again, was such a, such a totally, right big departure from what I was used to as far as, uh, you know, the, the general strength conditioning mentality of like preparing for traditional sports. Um, a lot of it's climbing, you know, so you're taking on rock climbing now as a discipline and you're looking at the position, you look at the <laughs> right. positions these guys are in and you're like, you're going, this doesn't make sense. The strength coach tells me I'm going to tear my shoulder if I do that, but this guy's flying up a wall that's, right. you know, flat and getting his hands into crevices and all these kinds of things. Right. So, um, there's that aspect of Ninja Warrior, which is a lot of um, hand-driven locomotion, right? You're climbing with your hands and your legs are suspended um, versus the stuff like the quad steps and the balance obstacle or the warp wall, warp wall, which is, you know, full body, but leg-driven, foot-driven right. locomotion, right? And to have that bro- broad profile of skills and just sort Within of the right body the right combination of strength and um, strength to body weight ratio and athleticism and coordination. To me, it was like the ultimate expression of, of, of physical superiority <laughs> because right. you had to have this massively broad profile of skills to be able to complete this very specific task and a, and a serious level of conditioning to do it. Because um, let me tell you, when you're talking about like uh, stress load and stimulus, you know, you've, uh, you've gone through this process of trying to actually train for this thing. Somehow or another, you manage to get the call back and get casted and they give you a runtime, right? Everyone's going to show up. We're going to wait. Everyone's going to be running. You have the whole production crew out there. They have, uh, you know, a paid audience to be out there. And literally every time someone runs, they got to reset the cameras. They got to reset the production crew 
and it takes it's it's exhausting and then you have right. people who are going out there and doing it you know after having driven you know eight ten hours to be at that location right. camping out all week to do it right um you know so it's, it's this really crazy cool interesting world um and there's there's just so much stimulus around it you finally get up to that starting block and the guy in front of you just fell on the first step so everything's wet and you know that <laughs> right right um and your heart's just already pounding right, right? You're just like you're like this and you haven't done anything yet <laughs> right but you got all these people watching you you got cameras on you you know if you look like a total moron you're it's probably gonna end up on tv right um and then you start going man and it's just like it's this really weird surreal feeling you're trying to be as careful as possible but you're also trying to be you know quick about this whole thing and and again, they're, they're always trying to throw in new obstacles, right? They're trying right. to make it as difficult as possible or as new as possible so that you can't be sitting there kind of calculating what it is you're going to do, even though you've been doing that all night. So um, the, the first year that I had done it, I had never trained on a warped wall before. So I actually had no problem with the entire course up to that warped wall. I had dressed up as a Santa Claus. One of my buddies lent me a Santa Claus suit to, to, to walk on and they actually managed to do it. Uh, you know, pick me to go on. And I got to that warp wall. And despite my conditioning and all the training right. that I've done, my legs were just shaking. I could feel them just barely under me at that point. And it was about 3.30 in the morning, by the way. I've been out there since you know, yeah. well, many hours. So, uh, and yeah, I just couldn't make the warp wall. And that for me was just so frustrating. Because it was like, I felt like I'm at least athletic enough to do this, right? <laughs> it felt like right. a warp wall was like a kind of a How hard could this be? Right. Yeah. It, well, it's 14 feet. But, you know, um, when you don't know how to do it or you've never done it before, there's physics involved there. Right. right. Um, and then the next year for me, it was the same thing. It was a, a new obstacle that got me, though. And it was like a, a, a what they call a flying pipe, pipe slider. So you slide down the pipe, it drops, slides again, drops and then hits a wall. You have to throw yourself forward and right the net. and um you know just didn't apply myself enough the physics of that weren't there for me to like get a full grip on it and i you know just slipped off the the net and things like that but it was um from a taking it back to a training perspective you know it was the the variability of everything right all that stimulus and looking at the physics of all the different movements and it's like there, there's so many things that um in traditional strength conditioning for me became uh pretty restrictive it's like you can't do this you can't do that or you know the, these are the things you should be doing and only this to to focus on on you know being able to do this lift right, right. well to be quite to be quite honest with you a lot of those lifts did not help me at all in ninja warrior or parkour and free running or those types of things right it was uh, it was learning and developing the necessary skills right the specificity of those skills, understanding how to apply the physics and momentum of my body in a very particular way and how to compress and create force or tension when I needed to, as opposed to constantly being tight. So that's where a lot of those theories started to really like crystallize for me. Once right. I started working with like the WEC method principles and all those different types of things, it was like um, the, this programming could be vastly vastly different and we could very easily build these systems into generalized training where we're doing a better job of coding people for success and and building compressive training uh the elastic training uh high contraction versus low contraction fast twitch contraction versus slow twitch contraction all these types of things um and through full ranges of motion that we uh, used to basically say like you can't move that way or you shouldn't move that way or you shouldn't be teaching people to do this or that um, I tend to think that if we start demonizing certain biomechanical movement patterns that the body is actually designed to do um, that we're essentially limiting human capacity well let me tell you I've seen I've seen a break dancer twist his arm around <sighs> this way and spin on top of it while he's doing it and not tear his shoulder in half so um, you know, that, that, that was one of those areas that it just really made a lot more sense to keep my mind open to all the possibilities. And that's a lot of the reason I started finding all these different tools and toys and things like that was because of really the Ninja Warrior and parkour and free running right. world that, uh, that was just those alternative movement disciplines that I was like, man, 
there's so much more that the human body is capable of than we're giving it credit for in the world of strength conditioning, where we start to kind of just fit people into these, this box of, you know, organizing it so that most anybody can do this. Right. Um, but, but it really moved and delved out into these, uh, these really interesting territories of all the different tools that we're working with now. And, and it's become a lot of fun to train again, you know, and, and to see what the body is capable of. What is it? Capable right. of? What can we do with it? Uh, how far can we take it? And then being able to apply it to actual clients and see, see that not just from a physical benefit, but a mental and emotional benefit too. Um, Cause I can't tell you how many times like uh, getting to work with a lot of these different tools and, and people, you know, my clients start to see that, okay, you know, this tool is being used by LeBron James, right. And inertia wave was, was a LeBron James was using the inertia wave and, you know, and this guy was using the BAMP hammer and that guy, you know, Von Miller's using the breath belt, all these types of things for my clients, especially they're going, man, like I'm training training like an elite athlete and I feel good. And that's, I mean, what a mental boost that is um, to see that there's validity to the training alternatively uh, from what we're used to doing all the time. It's not to right. say that we're not going to do those things, but we're just going to add these things and it's going to, it's going to change the perspective on how we approach it. And it's a lot of fun, man. It really is a lot of fun to see people come up through it. Well, what I wanted to ask you as a coach or instructor, do you find that say you have a 20 year uh, tactical guy, whether armed forces, police, or a former athlete that's rehabbing, do, if they or are there chances where these people can bring in their previous training slash ego? Does that get in the way of them kind of listening to you and kind of, how do you kind of reprogram something to be like, Hey, your way may have worked for you, but listen to my way. And like, is it tough to shake kind of like that back baggage when people start training with you? Yeah. I mean, I've had, I I'm honestly, it's one of those things I've not really, uh, I've not really had to experience. Um, I, I, I tend to think that most of the people who come to me are coming because they, they're right. kind of at their wits end with themselves, <laughs> um, you know, and, and that, that includes the high level military operators or you know, law, you know, and, um, veteran law enforcement officers. They're going, man, you know, I did so much, so much years of damage to my body. I just, I just want to feel good, <laughs> you know? Um, and, and my take on that tends to be, you know, we can still give you the intensity you're craving. Cause that's what, you know, your body wants that, that physical high of like, that was hard. Right. Uh, but at the same time, we can start to find better alternative ways to help you move more naturally. And, you know, we can achieve that in a half hour worth of training. So generally because you can make someone feel good physically, you kind of disarm them mentally and emotionally right out of the gate. And, right. you know, I, I can honestly say I've not received that many actual objections to any training, which I feel lucky. Uh, I've not had to like fight anyone. I'm like, you know, this is a thing you need to do. And um, I kind of like Tai Chi it, man. <laughs> like, yeah, just... if, if there is, that's why that's part of the reason I have so many tools um, is because if for one reason or another, a person is, I can tell that they're getting frustrated with something. We move on. There's yep. another thing we can do now. Um, you just don't, you haven't developed the skill and proficiency to understand this well enough yet. What's a different way we can do this movement without making it um, intellectually frustrating for you. Right. Uh, you know, that, that might be for, you know, firearms or, you know, hand-to-hand combat, right? Well, this technique works for the big guy, but it doesn't work for the little girl, right? right. Or, she's not going to be able to hold that firearm because the handle is just too dang big, right? We need to find a different tool for that person to achieve the same end. And that's, that's a lot of the approach that I take with uh, like training objections of any kind, but generally speaking, when you make people feel good and you give them the right detail oriented instruction, they can feel it right away. And Oh man, you get those aha moments all the time where it's like, wow, that little shift in my foot made my glute fire better you know? Right. And I didn't know, I didn't know I was even supposed to feel my glute in that moment, but now I do. And I know what that thing feels like. So, um, uh, if you're training properly and you're giving the right instruction, the right cueing, uh, I think people can connect with it right away. And as long as you don't let your own ego get in the way, right. right? What's best. What do I want for this client versus what they need? 
that was something I learned early on is like, don't let what my, what I desire for this person of, you know, high capacity or low capacity to, uh, to get in the way of what they actually need on that given day. It could be, you know, just sitting there and breathing and doing some mo mobility work to get them out of fight or flight mode because they're just too intellectually and emotionally tense that day to get through it. They can't even think straight. You know, they haven't been eating right. well the last few days. They're so frustrated with what just went on with their spouse or their, you know, kid is doing whatever and getting getting them to move this hammer this way or the ropes this way or whatever today is just not going to happen well how can i benefit you right here right now and make sure that i uh that you leave here better than i found you kind of kind now, of idea. now those tactical guys or police guys or military guys that come in do you trade with them if uh, normally when i was in law enforcement the government i would have to wear a bulletproof vest with your duty so a lot of times uh i would i never Again, I never worked out with the vest on because I wasn't looking at it that way. But if I was a cop now or someone, I would want to trade with, say, my gun belt or my tactical vest with that extra weight. Because the minute you do get these real life, life situations, I, don't you want to trade to never need it as opposed to need it and not have it? So when right. those guys come in, just, that must affect too. Because doing a battle rope is tough as it is. But if I got a 25-pound gun belt on or a tactical vest, like that changes the whole not even physical, but the whole mental outlook of that workout. Oh, yeah. I mean, just from a biomechanical perspective, uh, yeah, it does. It does actually change your movement patterns. You're not going to move the same way. You right. can't get that leg up as high when you're wearing polyester <laughs> pants. And oh, you can't. And, you know, and then the vest on and the, the gun belt on. So, yeah, I mean, uh, just about uh, every one of my tactical athletes, I make sure that they at least know they need to start doing some, uh, some movement training and things like that with their gun belt on and with a vest on, or at least get some kind of a weighted vest that has right. that sort of compressive quality to it. And, um, and actually get, you know, into their uniform and do some training inside of their uniform because it does alter the way that you move and it does alter your mindset on what it is you're going to be doing when you move. Uh, it's, it's far easier to move in yoga pants and, <laughs> or, or athletic pants and athletic shoes than it is in, uh, in tactical gear. So your mobility is legitimately going to be, you know, changed. Right. It's like football pads, right? I can't get my arm way the heck up here without the shoulder pads getting here or turn my head the same way when that helmet's on. So we got to train with that stuff on. We got to know what right. it feels like to get our body into those positions, uh, when the time comes. And then, like you said, you know, where does it change the mindset? What's the intent behind this training? Um, I'm much more likely to do something in the gym that's more uh, aesthetics driven, say, if I don't have my tactical gear on. But if I've got my tactical gear on, I'm going to focus a little bit more on what it means to train like a police officer or military personnel, right? Do some of that simulated stress work. Uh, I even have gone, I've gone so far as to get uh, a lot of uh, dry fire type, uh, type oh, training nice. modalities. Yeah. Uh, there's one called the, uh, the Mantis X with the dry fire mag. It's an integrated magazine that has a little app that tells you, you know, if you're slapping the trigger, if you're anticipating recoil, that kind of stuff. Yep. And, um, and it gives you that sort of feedback based on the little gyroscope in there, as well as the laser system now that goes in there. And, it gives us legitimate feedback for someone say who's never fired a firearm before or even held one much less it removes that intellectual and emotional fear of oh my god this thing could like go weapon, off right. i could drop it and it could shoot me whatever you know or just the sound of it is too much for me to handle um we can now integrate that and start to myelinate and create that muscle memory of here's how you draw it here's how you place your hand right here's how you line up the sight get those mechanics set in stone um, and start to help them really deconstruct that so that again, when the time comes, they know how to do that properly without hurting themselves or somebody else unintentionally. Right. right. Uh, not that I'm a firearms instructor. I'm not, but it also is actually, it's actually pretty cost effective <laughs> uh, because bullets right. are expensive these days. So, you know, being able to build those, those systems again, into your daily work, I recommend that kind of stuff for my tactical athletes all the time. And, Having again, having a, a sandbag or the inertia waves or something that's very mobile and what we call deployable is right. critical for that population because they're going to be on a 12 hour shift. They might not be able to get back to the department or their department doesn't provide an hour to train on the job. Right. So 
you know, well, I, I throw my chuff with my luggage, every hotel room I'm in, yeah. I mean, you know, 30 minutes, let's whatever I could do. You're, to, you're gonna get some movement, right? right. And your body's going to move in ways like the same movement of the chop right. swinging up like this is the same as throwing repeated right. uppercuts and shifting your body from one position to the other. That's that rotational movement that we need to be building into it. Right. Or maybe you just need to get your heart rate up. There's plenty of ways to do that with that given tool. So right. if you really wanted to, you could also add extra uh, security driven intent or sentinel driven intent by also putting some firearms work into there, right? Do, 100%, 100%. Do two minutes of chop fit work and then work on your dry fire work, you know, right. um, and have the feedback to say, wow, when my heart rate's not up, I have total control over this firearm. Right. When my heart rate is up, I can't right. even grab the thing. Right. <laughs> I could barely place my hand in the right spot. Um, those are those are definitely areas of uh, of red flags for someone who does this as a profession and needs to know how to control their body when it's in a physically taxed state. That's not even talking about all the sort of mental and social and all the other stuff that that goes on for police officers and military personnel. Now, you know, when you're in a, in a life or death situation everything goes out the window. This is like, yep. uh, I, I just talked about this with Tony Blower. Oh, uh, I love him. Yep. Tony. Yeah. So, um, you know, those, those autonomic systems and those very deep primal fear driven systems totally take over. Well, Tony figured out ways to uh, weaponize that system, right. Yep. And yep. teach people the intent of going, look, we know for a fact that when that fist suddenly comes at you, you're going to do this, so use it. Boom. We're going to now, train ourselves on a daily basis to apply that and make it an instant weapon when that fist comes flying at your face the first thing you're probably not going to do is go drawing for your gun correct <laughs> right you're, right. you're probably going to try to protect yourself fate your first and then when their person's on top of you you're now going to start to go oh i need to retain my firearm right but by that point it's too late right so um that's kind of the mindset behind it is, is systematizing your training specific to your goals and your activities, right? Again, what is your daily uh, movement inventory look like and how can you better train to counteract maybe some of the negative effects of that while also improving on the skills and techniques and tools that you actually need to apply to be successful at what it is you're doing um, for tactical athletes for people like that it's going to be you know hand-to-hand -hand combat driven work it's going to be a lot of uh physical mobility so being able to move from the ground up and the you know and you know down to the ground quickly and efficiently without getting hurt being able to sprint at a moment's notice and you know move explosively without any kind of warm-up to go with it right. and then you know being able to uh, apply what we call necessary force as opposed to excessive force but the cool thing about training is you can really, you'll know what those degrees of excessive force are because you've contracted your body hard enough to use the amount of force required to move something, right? right. Um, if, you, if you train with certain loads at a sort of a, a lighter load, you can feel what it feels like when you do too much, right? A perfect example is a hang clean, right? Yep. If you do too much on a hang clean, what's going to happen? It's going to come way up and come slamming it's down slump, that would yep. be that's inefficient and it makes the movement sloppy and it makes it harder to catch that bar from a certain position you're going to have to control that weight so um what is the necessary amount of force required to move that bar from here to there efficiently and then get it back into position well same thing applies to uh hand-to-hand -hand combat right and different rules of engagement for law enforcement versus military personnel um, you know, we're, we're serve and protect, not, uh, <laughs> not search and destroy. Right. So, um, you know, it's just, a it, it really is the matter of learning specifically what it is you need to program into your daily training to suit your needs. You're a professional, you know what you need, um, right. and you know what your toolkit requires. So how can you better integrate your toolkit specifically into your training and also get that metabolic and, and physically taxing aspect, muscularly taxing aspect to achieve whatever fitness goals you want to achieve. There's nothing wrong with wanting to look good, right? 100%. <laughs> right? So, you know, you want to look good. You want to, you, um, you want to train your muscles to, to be a certain way and look a certain way. 
um, that's all fine. Cause guess what? That fits perfectly into the grand scheme of things. If you're training consistently, that stuff's going to come anyway. Right. right. Um, as long as you're fueling properly and consistently stimulating the tissues, they're going to get the breakdown necessary to be built up through nutrition and, you know, rest and recovery. So why not also experience the benefits of getting better at your work and just becoming more, just a, a more uh, proficient human, right? right. <laughs> Be really good at humaning. Uh, that, that's yeah. kind of the, the, the goal for me. You know, I tell people all the time, you're going to pick something up off the ground. You're not going to do a full dynamic warm up before you do it square up on it, get your back nice and flat, squat down, right? You're probably, you know what you're going to do? You're going to step forward at that object. You're going to reach down around your back to go get it. And you know what? You should be able to do that. <laughs> your body 100%. should instantly explode the moment your back rounds. I mean, that's insane, right? So why not train that way though, right? Teach your body to work under those loads and through those full ranges of motion under loads, light and heavy, right? fast and slow, controlled, hard contractions, and, and mixing up the variation of movement patterns. It doesn't always have to be slow out, slow in. It could be fast out, slow in, right? You can vary all of that up. That's You're just playing around with the variables at that point and different uh, sensory inputs, right? Right. That's, That's uh, uh, Before I let you go, Dan, kind of tell us about where we can find you on social media and stuff like that. What other stuff you got coming on down the pipeline? Yeah, yeah. So, uh, you know, I've got my website, livekinetically.com. Uh, I also have the kinetic training store. store. That's, uh, you know, where I'm starting to populate a lot of the products for drop shipping and all that kind of stuff. Uh, working on a uh, rapid tactical response program right now awesome. that's going to be launched soon. So, a very generalized, requires no real like added equipment as of right now. And, um, and then obviously Instagram, I've got my, uh, my YouTube as well. I'm doing podcasts. I, I plan to have you on my podcast uh, awesome. coming up soon so I can pick your brain. Cause I want to know a lot more about the private security world and what that's like. And uh, yeah, Instagram at live kinetically. And of course my website, livekinetically.com. Awesome. Well, now get uh, thank you for this and uh, stay safe and uh, all the success with your training. Thank you, sir. Thank you, sir. And you too. And let, let me know anytime you need uh, any helpful tips on applying that chop fit and simulated stress work. No, I'm all about it. Actually, sometimes I want to swing in some people's heads, but uh, I don't think that's <laughs> part of the, uh, the MO there. Well, uh, thank you for this, Dan. I appreciate you, brother. Thank you so much awesome. for having me, man. Thank you all for checking out this week's episode. Once again, I'm John. If you liked what you heard and saw today, subscribe to our YouTube channel. Find us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. And check out our brand new merch store with hats, coffee mugs, t-shirts, other cool stuff coming down the pipeline. Again, thank you all for support. Be safe and see you next week. I'm Mercedes Nickel, four-time Winter Olympian and host of Dropping In, a podcast with Mercedes. This is a podcast where I interview a bunch of different people. I get the good, the bad, and the ugly, as well as I share my stories along the way. Now you can drop in at droppingin.com or subscribe on Apple, Spotify, and YouTube. I'll see you soon. The Podcast Super Friends is a monthly meeting of five podcast producers. Hi, I'm Catherine O'Brien from Branch Out Programs in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. I'm John Gay from Jagged Detroit Podcasts. I'm Matt Kundle from the Sound Off Podcast Network. I'm David Yes from Pod 617, the Boston Podcast Network. And I'm Johnny Peterson from Straight Up Podcasts. Together, they form the Podcast Super Friends, an alliance of podcast masterminds sharing best practices, insights, and discussions to help make you a better podcaster. Follow or subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or at soundoff.network.